Our second Bible reading is coming from Psalm 119, verse 1 to 8, and verse uh, 33 to 40, which is found on page 557 of your Pew Bibles. Verse 1, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They follow his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. Verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it, and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees, and not to material gain. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you say to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Oh, good evening. Good morning. Big, big day. Good morning. Uh, good to see you here. Uh, in, in Maltese, which is uh, my uh, background, ethnic-wise, uh, the word for hot is, means is sauna. And I feel like that's inappropriate. So it's good to hear, see you here this morning. Hopefully the air conditioning's working. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a look at Psalm 119. Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that uh, your spirit uh, is with us, and that we ask that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning, that we would encounter you. Amen. Uh, I wonder, could you speak about how great the Bible is for about 30 minutes? Bit of an odd question. Could you speak about how great the Bible is for 30 minutes? Probably think for 30 minutes you could speak about how odd you find it, maybe all the questions you have, the things you find confusing, or the objections you have. For 30 minutes, how good the Bible is. I ask that question because as we look at Psalm 119, where the, the songwriter, the, the psalmist who wrote this, he wrote 176 verses, almost 3,000 words, about how God's Word is, quote-unquote, a joy to his heart. So, I will calculate it. It takes about a verse. Uh, if we do a verse a minute, we'll be here for about three hours. So, let's begin with verse 1. Hopefully, you parked in a four-hour spot. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to do broad brushstrokes as we look through this psalm. And uh, as we explore the psalm, say, how can you, in reading the Bible by yourself, how can you have, bring joy to your heart in reading it? Why, why read the Bible for yourself? Uh, you might be here, you might call yourself a skeptic, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You might be wondering, what is it with Christians in reading the Bible? Or you might be here and uh, you're a new Christian, you're new to the faith. Or you might be a Christian for a long time. We're going to see... Why read the Bible for yourself, and how can it bring joy to your heart? 
whether you know who Melchizedek is or you think it's something you order in a Lebanese restaurant, we're going to work through three things, right? Three things to, uh, to understand this psalm. So the first is, the first reason why the psalmist can speak for so long about how good God's Word is, is because through it, he gets to know who God is. Now, this is going to be uh, the, the biggest of the three points. But let me say this. Uh, if you look at me, right? Say you didn't really know me. Let, if you look at me, you could work out a couple of things about me. There's always a guy, he's got basic fashion sense, uh, there's a ring, so he must be married, slightly ethnic, th- those kind of things. But you would never know, just by looking at me, that I love house dance music. The do, do, do. I love it, right? You would never know by looking at me that I have a phobia of mice. You would never know by looking at me that I love dark chocolate, but only up to 75%, right? You would, you would not know those things until I told you, I reveal those things to you. And when it comes to God, we can look around this world and work out some things, you know, there's, there's order, so maybe he's a God of order, there's beauty, so maybe he likes beauty, but you're only going to get so far unless he tells you what he's like. And as you read the Bible, we understand, we get to know who God is because He tells us, His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that He is good and just. In verse 130 of Psalm 119, it says this, The revelation of your words bring light and give understanding to the inexperienced. Or verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. See, God's revelation, God's word tells us who he is. He gives understanding, insight, which we otherwise would not have. See, how do you know that someone loves you? You're guessing, right, until they say it. This week on Netflix, I was watching The Fifth Element, that classic 90s film. And uh, there's, all throughout the film, there's Bruce Willis's character and uh, the female character called Lilu. And they're always wondering the whole time, does he love her? Does he love her? And the world's about to be destroyed. And right at that last minute, he says those three words, which is so hard to get from a male's mouth, I love you. Ah, oh, and then the world's saved, right? And until he said it, we didn't know. And how do you know that God loves you? You will always be guessing, but because he said it, no longer. We have to guess. Because his word says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We don't have to guess, but we know he loves us. Because he said it. That's why in verse 14, the psalmist says, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much in all the riches. You might be asking, well, can God speak besides his word, the Bible? And the answer is yes. He's not limited by it. He could speak in any way. He could speak through a donkey, by Joey has in Numbers 22. But if you go to every donkey and stand in front of it, waiting for God to speak to you, you're going to be waiting a long time, right? The normal way in which God speaks to us is through His Word. That if you have a Bible in your hand, God is speaking to you this very moment. Now, there are two common experiences I find in knowing God and reading the Bible. I wonder which you fall into. The first is a very common experience to uh, those who are new to faith, new as a Christian, or didn't grow up in a Christian family, where you find the Bible very confusing. 
You know, there's a lot of words, there's a lot of cultural practice, there's a lot of things that happen, you think, what the heck is going on here? And your heart's in the right place, right? You want to know, you love God, but from Adam to Jesus, you're not sure what happens in between. It's like looking at a mountain and it is overwhelming. Is this you? Often Christians, there's a saying that goes around Christian circles, which is, knowing God is not about knowledge, but it's about a relationship. And that's true, right? But, but part of knowing God is actually knowledge. It is actually learning. It is actually understanding. Uh, in verse, uh, nine times in this psalm, it says, teach me your statutes. Teach me your ways. Don't be afraid to learn. So just like in a new friendship, you spend time learning things about them, their birthday, their family, what they like, what they don't like. In meeting God, we learn about Him. And I encourage you, just spoon by spoon, bit by bit, in knowing who God is, in knowing the Bible. There are two things I would recommend practically. One is we do a God's Big Picture course here at church, which takes you particularly through the Old Testament and say, what is the point of this? And gives you a framework to understand the Bible. The other thing I'd recommend is this book here, My Rock, My Refuge by Tim Keller. We've got a number on the bookshelf. And it takes you just a bit through a psalm, a bit of explanation, and a prayer. And it is brilliant. I'd highly recommend this book, My Rock, My Refuge by Tim Keller. As you learn, as you understand more about the Bible, bit by bit. But for those of us who've been a Christian for a while, right, you're familiar with who's who in the Bible, you know, you could list the 12 tribes of Israel. Heck, you name one of your children after them. You know, you're very familiar with it, right? Knowledge is not a problem, but you lack the, the wonder, the wow, the astonishment. Is this you? Verse 27 says, Help me understand the meaning of your precepts so that I can meditate on your wonders. Uh, a number of years ago, I, went, I was in Paris, and I went to the Louvre, as you do. And uh, I did the whole Louvre in an hour. I just, I know it's offensive, bro, but it's true. I just walked into the room. Okay, there's Mona Lisa. Tick. Next room. Uh, there's some Babylonian artifacts. Cool. And I just did it in an hour. Boom, boom, boom. That's often how sometimes we, we can treat the Bible. Read it. Cool. Done. Next. And we don't stop to enjoy the treasures that are there. There's a word in that verse 27, Meditate. Uh, Sarah Condi is going to come up now and share what practically does it look like to meditate on God's Word. Okay, you're in the Louvre, and biblical meditation is actually stopping at one painting and you notice it, you look at it, and you take time to think about what was the artist communicating. You notice its beauty, you notice the detail about it. It's, it's slowing down. You forget about all the other paintings. You just think about that one painting. I'm going to... Um, so if you think about Psalm 119, I think that's a bit like the Louvre. It's huge. If I said to you, go and read that now, you'd probably go up and say, sorry, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to encourage you to just focus on one verse, which I'm going to look at verse 76, the first half, which says, May your unfailing love be my comfort. So how can we meditate on that truth? There are three ways that you can meditate. So firstly, your head, then your heart, 
then you pray. So let's look at your head. It's really using your mind. And you, um, I actually want to move from the analogy of an art gallery to thinking about cricket. We're in summer, and if you're in like my home, um, the cricket is on all day. For five days, that's it. How do you remember five days of cricket? Well, we won't. It's a blur. But there are those moments. There are those classic catches. You know what I'm talking about? It happens. You watch it. It's replayed. You see it from this angle. You see it from that angle. You see it from another angle. Then you watch it all over again and again. We're still watching classic catches from the 70s. Um, so it's actually asking questions. It's thinking about what does unfailing love mean? Are there other words that describe unfailing? Words such as steadfast, never-ending, um, unconditional. Is that, that is how God sees you. He loves you in that way. Um, can you remember how you became a Christian? What's your story of God's unconditional, steadfast, unfailing love for you? Um, if we think about Christmas, uh, which we've just celebrated, who came down to earth? Jesus. That is how much God loves each one of us. He let his son come to earth. Um, so it's actually thinking about that for yourself and wrestling and thinking. Then you let that truth affect your heart. So how do you respond emotionally to that? Again, if we go back to the cricket, you cannot watch those classic catches. And I'm not a cricket fan at all. You cannot but get excited. And you think, wow, that is an amazing catch. And you actually want to watch it again. So it's that, it's letting God's word, that truth, affect you emotionally. So you can respond and think, wow, um, God's love is amazing. And so until that becomes a part of your DNA, and that's how you actually taste of God's goodness. It's how you let God's word be such a delight to you that you want to read it. And you would want to talk for half an hour about how amazing God's word is. Um, so that, and that is how, um, when we go back to, may your unfailing love be my comfort. It's when we remember that that is how God loves us, that it can comfort us when we're feeling anything but encouraged. We might be feeling down, discouraged, flat, whatever we're feeling. Then we can use that to pray. So this is the third element of meditating, to pray. We can thank God for his unfailing love and ask that that unfailing love will be our comfort. We can pray that for others. We can pray that for our friends, our family. And so let me encourage you to start small. Just pick one verse and think about, so use your head, think, let it affect your heart, and then use it to pray. Now, if you're an extrovert, you might think doing that is hard work. Well, do it with a friend. Do that head, heart, pray with someone else. Pick one verse, use that verse, and talk about it. And then um, let it permeate into you. Biblical meditation has the potential to inflame that love response from us to God. It's a great way to get to know him more better and more deeply. 
So in 2018, let me encourage you to give it a go. All right, so that's knowing God. Uh, Let's move on to our, our second point. When you read God's Word, there are things that are going to challenge you. Uh, as you read it by yourself, you know, there's things that are going to be found very difficult that, that confront us. Uh, notice, the, turn with me to verse 36. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to mental gain. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. See, naturally, uh, we do not want to obey God. Naturally, we're not turned towards Him, we're turned away from Him. Uh, like a child naturally disobeys their parents, we naturally disobey our Father in Heaven. Where we see God's Word and we twist it, we ignore it, we skip around it. The Bible calls this sin. And depending on what culture, this is a point, depending on what culture you're from, there are certain things in the Bible that you're going to find easy to accept and hard to swallow. So, give an example. Take the idea of sacrifice, right? Uh, depending on what culture you're from, there's, there's parts that you'll find easy and, and hard. So, uh, if you're a Westerner, many of us, Western culture, uh, the idea that God sacrifices Himself for us, uh, that God would give up His life to love us, we love that, right? That God would, would, would serve us and love that. We're all down with that. But if you're from a traditional culture, maybe an Asian or Middle Eastern background, that idea is very offensive, that God would die, that God would, would serve me. But they're all down with, in traditional cultures, self-sacrifice, me giving up something that I want for God, that, that's okay. But for us in the Western culture, Western culture, the idea of denying myself, not doing what I want to do, giving up something that I love for God, that is a very hard thing to swallow. So depending on your culture, there are some things that you're going to find easy and things hard. But it's the same word, same Bible, same God. But you might be thinking, oh, but I just really don't like God telling me what to do. Uh, let me ask you, do you want a real, authentic relationship with God? And if the answer is yes, then change is needed. Take, for example, let's say you've got two people in a relationship where one of them tells the other, you need to change. You need to be like this, do this, think like this. But the other doesn't. That's not a healthy relationship. It's more, more like a, a robot in crafting the person you want to be. Uh, I was talking to a, my cousin, actually, and uh, she said, oh, I like to think of God as, as warm and loving and never tells anyone they're wrong. I said, I can see where you're coming from, but in the end, you've just domesticated God. He's almost like this puppy. You sort of put in your pocket and he suits your life. He can never speak into your life, never challenge it. That's not a real relationship. When it comes to God and speaking to us, he's saying our motives, our desires, the things we do are all out of whack and we need to change or repent. You might be thinking, well, hang on, if I have to change, why doesn't God? He has. He became one of us. He took on your sin on Himself. He died. He rose again. He permanently changed forever. And in light of that, He's calling us to change. Change the way we think and what we do when it comes to sex or money 
the way we treat people of other races, what, we, what our priorities are, what comes from our mouth. And the good thing is, if God's word not only encourages us to change, but God himself empowers us to change. In this psalm, a couple of times it says, verse 34, help me understand, help me stay on the path of your commands. And the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is inside of you, that God is changing you from the inside out. I'll give you an example of this from my own life. I've read Colossians 3, verse 10, probably many a times. It says this, Do not lie to one another, since you've put off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. So I've read that verse a number of times, but there was one time when I was reading it, and it struck me, uh, like a knife to the heart. And I realized... A number of years prior, I'd, I'd lied, and I hadn't told those people the truth. And so God's Spirit was moving in me that I actually needed to tell those people that that thing I said was actually a lie. And I tell you what, it was embarrassing. But I understood what the psalmist says when he says, Open my eyes, so they may contemplate the wonderful things from your instruction. In telling those people I'd actually lied, I realized the truth does set you free. And change is good. It's hard, but it is good. Our third and final point is this. We read God's Word to have delight. I said at the beginning, I'm not sure whether you read the Bible and it brings joy. But I know this, you're not going to have joy when you read the Bible uh, if you treat it like an academic book. You're not going to have joy if you treat the Bible as a way to better yourself, to make you a better person. You're not going to have joy if you do that. You're not going to have joy if you don't read it. But I want to take you on a bit of a brief journey of how you can actually have joy when reading the Bible. What I want you to do is we're going to read the first four verses of Psalm 119, and I want you to think, what comes to mind? How do you feel after reading these verses? So how do you feel after reading this? How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction? Happy are those who keep His decrees and seek Him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They follow His ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. How do you feel? If I'm honest, I feel a bit guilty. I feel like they do nothing wrong. That's not me. They're blameless, not me at all. I I feel trapped. I feel guilty after reading this. And there's times when you read the Bible and it, it does expose you. You're like, I, I, I should be like this, but I'm not. But the Bible doesn't end there. What, what's the next verse? If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I wouldn't be ashamed when I think about your commands. I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes, never abandon me. If only. This guy's longing he, he wants to be committed. He wants to be good. But if only. But he feels guilt and shame, hoping that God will not abandon him. The psalmist knows from the Bible who God is, that he is good, he is perfect, he is just. But you know what? He knows himself that he is not. He's far from it. So he says those words, if only. And the psalmist was guessing, hoping, wish, wish something, some good news to come. And he would have never have guessed what that good news was to come. That he knew that God had spoken through words. But he would never know that the word would become flesh in Jesus Christ. He knew that he could know God, but he would never have guessed in a million years that God would become one of us to know 
us. See, the whole point of the Bible, this whole point of the if only, is it becomes a reality in Jesus Christ. The, where the Bible is one big arrow pointing to Jesus Christ. And if you want to understand, if you want to have joy, then you need to know why the Bible is there. It is there because it's all pointing to some glorious news that Jesus Christ has come. That as you read the Bible, you stand and you feel guilty. You're like, I can't live up to this. But the good news is that Jesus came and he lived and he obeyed this, this, the commands of God perfectly. So that he could swap his verdict with you so that you could be blameless. You could be perfect in his sight. That when we feel guilt and shame as we read this, but I should be like this, but I'm not. Jesus came and he became, died on a cross and became cursed so that you could be free and pure and have no condemnation against your name. That if we're worried about, will God want to be with us? Will he abandon us? I can't even find my Bible, we say. But the good news is that Jesus was abandoned by his Father because of your sin so that he would never leave you or forsake you. This is the gospel. This is the good news of what Jesus has done. And that, that was what will get you excited. That is what you'll delight in. That is what will bring you joy. And it is on every page of the Bible. Sometimes it whispers it. Sometimes it shouts it. But it is the good news that Jesus Christ has died and risen. That is the point of the Bible. And once you understand that, once you encounter that, once you delight in that, ooh, that brings joy and delight. But you know that? With that being said, I still find it hard to read the Bible. Like, I know I read the Bible and I understand God. It challenged me and that's a good thing and I delight in the, in the good news of the gospel, but I still find it hard. And so I remember two things, Right? First is this, if I cut the word out of my life, then I'm cutting God out. And being a disciple of Jesus also means being disciplined. The two words are connected, discipline, disciple. And so I actually need to be intentional in carving out time to let God speak to me. And I feel like it's like going to the gym, reading the Bible. You know, it's a hard slog getting there, but I never regret it. And so as I said last week, make 2018 where you encounter God more and you read His Word. So if in 2017 you weren't really reading the Bible outside of church or, or a hive group, then read one verse once a week and make that your habit. If you were reading one, one verse a week, make it once a day where you hear from your Maker. Maybe you read chunks and you sort of broad brush it. Do what Sarah says and, and pick a verse and meditate on it. Chew on it. Mull it over. Let us make 2018 a year in which we delight, we read, and we rejoice in God's Word. I'm going to end with a guy, a story called David Satcham. David Satcham is a South African man. And when he became a Christian, he was bowled over by God's love. And so he started reading the Bible, reading it again and again. And it, was just, it was just devouring it, hungry for it. But then he stopped. And he realized, hang on, if I keep reading this, I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, I want to be a Christian for a while. I don't want to, you know, read it all. I want to save some for later. But then a Christian man said to him, it, the Bible's not like that. It's not like any other book. But the more you read about the Bible, the more you know God. And the more you know God, it reveals how much you actually need Him. 
at how glorious the gospel is. And 40 years later, he's a Bible college lecturer in South Africa, and he hasn't got tired of God's word. And I pray that that would be the same for us this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are half-hearted men and women. We want to know you. We want to hear from you, but in the busyness and the temptations and the distractions, Lord, we put you to one side. Often we cut you out. So I pray that we will be men and women who are disciplined, who want to encounter you in your word, want you to speak into our life, change us, make us more joyful. And I pray that we would be hungry for your word this year and beyond. Amen.